welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Oh, what a joy it is to be at the world-renowned River Valley Church. This church is impacting people across the globe and has also been so transformational for my own life. And uh, I just want to say thank you. I, I know he's not here tonight, but thank you, Pastor Rob, for what you do. Can we just clap it up for your lead pastor? We are so honored, so thankful for what God is doing through you, your leadership here. And uh, wow, I'm so excited to be here. We had an incredible weekend, and uh, it is a joy and a privilege to get to speak to you. And uh, I, I know you don't know me. My name is Peter Reeves. I come all the way from Orlando, Florida, okay? I tried my best, but I couldn't bring any sunshine with me. we got to pray a little harder for that. Um, but uh, I want to tell you a little bit about myself. I have one wife. Hello, it's 2023. got to be specific. I got one wife. Show you a picture of my family here today. Uh, this is my wonderful wife, Joanna Reeves. And uh, that's my wonderful wife. Wish she could be here with me today, but she was not able to be. As you can tell, she likes her coffee with no cream, if you know what I mean. Hello, someone. Thank you, Jesus. And then uh, we got our two beautiful babies. That is Charlie Grace Reeves, who she is not a Christian. So go ahead and pray for her. I asked her the other day. I said, do you love God? She said, no, Elmo. I'm a pastor. I pushed her down. You will love God in Jesus' name. And that is my son, Macklin Nathaniel Reeves. His name is Macklin. Mac means the greatest. Nathaniel means gift from God. We're really good at naming babies. Amen. So uh, just this is my family. Really thankful for them. A couple of things you need to know about me before I jump in today is I come from an African, hello someone, Pentecostal family. <laughs> come from an African Pentecostal family. Like some of you grew up, you got put in time out. My mom was like, yeah, he's a spear, you know, like that. Okay, so that's the kind of family. Like imagine, you see Black Panther 2? That's my family. I'm just kidding. Okay, but like my, my family, I remember growing up and I would invite my friends over. I would say, hey, come over to the house. Let's hang out and spend some time together. And this actually happened. I invited them over. I got to the door and my mom was there and uh, I, I opened the door. I heard some screaming in my house. I opened the door. I saw my mom praying over our vacuum. What a strange thing. And my mom was praying over a vacuum. She was like, in the name of Jesus, I come against this vacuum. This is a demon vacuum, a devil vacuum, right? And I was like, mom, mom, I said, what in the jungle book is happening in this room? She said, son, I did not know that when I bought this vacuum, that it was a dead devil. And there will be no devils allowed in this house. I was like, wow. Okay, I said, hey, we're not going to hang out here today. Y'all got to go. But, but this is the kind of home that I grew up in. And I'll tell you today, I'm saying that because I need you to know, let you know on the front end that I am a loud preacher. Okay, some of you are like, is he going to be loud like this the entire time? Yes! Okay? Because when God has done a lot in your life, it's hard to be quiet. Can I get an amen? Okay. And so today as I preach, you can do whatever you want to do. You can say amen. You can stand up. You can clap. You can say that's for me. You can just look at someone and they'll know it's for them. Amen? So come on today. We're going to go to a very familiar portion of Scripture in Romans. And uh, I'm going to go to Romans today. You can go wherever you want. I'm going to Romans <laughs> chapter 9, verse 10. I want to read it quickly and jump right into this. It says, and that's not the only time. To Rebecca, a promise was made 
that took priority over genetics. When she became pregnant by our one-of-a-kind ancestor, Isaac, and her babies were still in the womb, incapable of good or bad, she received special assurance from God. What God did in this case is made it perfectly plain that his purpose is not a hit or miss thing dependent on what we do or don't do, but a sure thing determined by his decision flowing steadily from his initiative. God told Rebecca, the firstborn of your twins will take second place. Later, that was turned into a stark epigram. I loved Jacob and I hated Esau. I wanted to read from the message version tonight because I believe it's for the message version because I believe it is one of the most prolific and great explanations. I believe Eugene Peterson grabs the tone of the text in such a powerful way and I want to preach from the thought today, the promise took priority over genetics. That the promise took priority over genetics. Friends, I am fascinated by this thought today that the promise of God took priority over genetics, right? I'm so thankful that we serve a God that makes and keeps every single one of his promises. And as, as a matter of fact, 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says it like this. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are all a yes and an amen in Christ. This is why Jesus is the main character of every single one of our stories because in Christ, every promise that God has ever made over generations become available to every single one of us. Then the scriptures also say, Paul, Paul says, he says, for how many for how many promises, and I decided to do a little math, I counted how many promises. There's roughly 8,800 promises of God in the Bible. Let's do a little math together. 365, right? 8,800 divided by 365 comes out to be 24. So there are 24 promises of God for every day of your life. Every day that you're on this earth, there are 24 promises. Oh, our God is so faithful, church, and so good, and so merciful. There's a promise for every hour. There's a promise for every situation. There's a promise for every pressure point in your life. Our God is so good. And his promises, who would they take priority over genetics? I found this out in a very interesting way this summer. I was traveling around the nation doing youth camps, and there was a young man at one of the camps that I was at, and he needed his inhaler. I'm talking about like every second. He was like, hi, I need my inhaler, right? And I was like, whoa, young man, take it easy. And we were at the altar one night, and he, and he raised his hands up, and he was like, I'm healed, I'm healed. I was like, that's amazing. What I did not know is he would walk outside, take his inhaler that he needed on him at all times, and smash it on the ground. And he said, I'm healed. He came back inside. He's like, Pastor Peter, what you said helped me. I said, I didn't say anything. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. And he called his mom. He said, Mom, you'll never believe that I got healed tonight. I don't need my inhaler anymore. She said, son, that's wonderful, but please keep it on you. He said, I already smashed it to the ground. She said, I want to speak to an adult. I said, every adult in this camp is going to jail. Oh, my gosh. All of us. But how many of you know that story? It's not going to end with an angry mom. It ended with a young man who got healed not to need his inhaler again. Why? Because the promise of God takes priority over genetics. Amen? Oh, even this summer as well, too, I found myself praying over a lot of couples who were battling infertility. Right? A lot of couples battling infertility. And uh, I got a text later in the year from one of my friends. He said, Peter, do you remember the couple you prayed over in Louisiana? He said they couldn't get pregnant for nine years. He said, but when you prayed for them, they felt like something broke over their life. He said, I'm just texting you to let you know that what was impossible for them, they're now about to announce in just a couple days that they're having a baby they're expecting in 2020. Why? Because the promise of God takes priority, friends, over genetics. It's the promise of God that gave Moses the courage to march into Egypt. It is the 
the promise of God that gave Noah the endurance to build. It is the promise of God that gave Abraham the wisdom to go to an unknown place. It was the promise of God that gave the people of God the strength and the multitude to march around Jericho. It is the promise of God that showed up to a 14-year-old girl and said, you will give birth to God. The promises of God take priority over genetics today. And what I mean when I say genetics is, I'm talking about our family history, our family bondage, our habitual sins. And we have to talk about this today because many people have chosen to use their genetics as an excuse to live however they want. Oh, here we go. So many people have decided, well, you know, divorce runs in my family, so I don't want to put myself in that position or repeat that same cycle. So I've decided not to get married. I just have friends that I kind of hang out with, you know, Netflix and stuff and Come on, church. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know the church provides opportunities for me to become financially free and to create an inheritance for my children and my children's children. But poverty is kind of running my family. No one's ever had money. And so I don't think I'm going to be a part of this. Oh, so many people are using their genetics as an excuse to live however they want. But at the risk of being maybe a little too transparent today, I want to be honest with you. My, my father uh, was, was not a great man. He, he was, some would call him maybe a womanizer. Uh, he was a, a functioning alcoholic and addicted to pornography. And my aunts and sisters used to say about me, they would say, Peter, you remind us so much of your father. They would say, you, you remind, your tendencies are, are so much like your dad. And honestly, this bothered me because I knew what he was doing. And so one night the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Peter, they have an idea of where your family has been, but they have no idea about where your family is going. They have an idea about the blood that runs through your body, but not an idea about the blood of Jesus that covers your life. Why his promises have priority over genetics today. And this is a message that must be preached because if depression runs in your family, that's not okay. God's promises are greater. Suicide runs in your family. I'm telling you, God's promises are greater. Anxiety runs in your family. I'm telling you, God's promises are greater. Divorce runs in your family. Poor money management. Whatever it is today, God's promises are greater. Today. The, the main character in our story is a woman by the name of Rebecca, which is another reason why I love this great church. You guys aren't afraid to allow women to be the main character. And I'll tell you today, I've heard some silly arguments in the days that we've lived in that say women can't preach the gospel. And I'm telling you right now, friends, that is a bold-faced lie. We are in a spiritual battle, right? Je Listen, the scripture says the battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual things, principalities in an unseen world, and the devil is attacking the people of God from every direction. So why would we go ahead and disqualify half of the army? Me. Oh, thank God for a church that believes and releases women into the call of God on their life. Oh, I'm so grateful for it. The main character in our story is a woman by the name of Rebecca. And she's married to this guy named Isaac, as in, yes, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when we see Rebecca in this moment in her life, uh, we know she has two sons, but in this moment we see her battling infertility, right? She's battling infertility, and uh, because Isaac is her husband, that would make the patriarch of our faith, Abraham, her father-in-law. Now, Abraham was a great man, obviously one of the greatest men of God in the Bible. Rebecca has married into this family, and I can tell you there was anxiety and stress and distrust there. Because Abraham had the promise of God on his life. The promise was that in his old age that he would give birth to a son and that for multiple generations his family line would continue and the Messiah would come from his family line. And that would have encouraged every single person in the land except Rebecca. Rebecca is infertile and she marries into the one family where the promise of God on their life is more family. 
Let me say it like this. Her father-in-law is one of the greatest men of God in the Bible, and directly standing in, one of, in front of what God told him is this girl that he didn't choose. Can you imagine how she felt? Man, Rebecca probably felt so much pain and shame. She probably felt overwhelmed and frustrated, and she probably said something like this. God, why did you put me in this family? Have you ever said that before? God, why have you put me in this family? But not just her. Imagine Isaac, her husband. Not only is infertility present in his marriage, it also preceded his life, his birth, right? Because his mom was also struggling with infertility. I imagine Isaac probably made us a claim or a statement like this. God, why is this only happening to me? Oh, have you ever been there before? Imagine Isaac's mother-in-law, Sarah who had been in this exact similar situation, but now she just wanted to get the ball rolling. She wanted the grandbabies. And we know mother-in-laws, they're um, great, okay? They're amazing. And uh, I imagine, though, that she said to Isaac something like, you could have picked any woman this is Like, you picked this girl, and she can't have children. Friends, this is Rebecca's story. And not only that, women in that day were given the value of, based on the family that they could produce. So here is Rebecca. She doesn't fit into the world whatsoever, and she doesn't fit at home. She doesn't fit in any place. She feels like a total misfit. I'll tell you today, Rebecca represents every person who is overwhelmed by the realities of their life. Rebecca represents those who were disappointed at the life that God gave them, and I came to encourage you today, oh, the promises of God have priority over genetics. I don't care what's been a part of your family, what the enemy has spoken to you, what you've experienced. I'm telling you that our God is so good that it can stop with you. Woo! We're seeing it all over. We saw it this weekend. What was spoken over here, yeah, yeah, we're just always going to be the family that wrestles with depression. Oh, it stopped with a student here this weekend. Oh, we've heard it over here in a different state. Oh, yeah, it start, this is what's going on in this family. There's just this disease that continues to plague your life. I'm telling you, it stops with you. When did we stop believing God could do the impossible? When did we stop believing no situation is beyond reach? When did we stop believing that he can heal any person, restore any person, fix any situation? Oh, the promise of God, who put that there, <laughs> has priority over genetics. I want to preach to you today. You're like, you didn't start? I'm starting right now. Here's point number one. God will use his word to meet you at your weakest point. Hallelujah. He'll use his word to meet you at your weakest point. Can I tell you today, God's not afraid of your weakness or your darkness. Who? how many people sit in church services all across the globe afraid to come and encounter Jesus because they don't know that he's not afraid of their weakness or their darkness. Can I tell you, let me show you how the Lord deals with the darkness. In Genesis chapter 1, it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was dark and formless and empty. It was dark and formless and empty. Maybe if, speaking about Rebecca, her womb was dark and formless and empty. Maybe thinking about your spiritual life, dark and formless and empty. And the Bible says that the Lord spoke. He spoke a word. He said, let there be light. Can I tell you today, the Lord is not intimidated with any part of your darkness, any part of your weakness, any part of your brokenness. And he's coming into the spaces that were off limits to him and he's illuminating with the light of his word, the power of his grace, the peace of his presence. This is what our God does. He's not afraid to show up in those moments. That's why I always encourage people, please read the scriptures, engage in the word of God. Now, I don't want to play semantics today, but I will say this. I said his word will meet you at your weakest point. I love the scriptures. I've built my life on the Bible, and I'll continue to do so. But the scriptures are the words of God. 
The, the scriptures are the words of God. You're like, what are you talking about? See, the word of God is not the scriptures. The word of God is a person. The Bible says in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. What am I saying today? I'm saying Jesus will show up in the middle of your issues and your challenges, your problems and your situations, and he will be there in the middle of your mess, drawing you to himself with his word. This is so vital and so important today. Rebecca got a word from the Lord. In a moment of infertility, some of you feel like you can't produce anything. Turn to the word. Some of you feel like there's a darkness in your life. Turn to the word today. He will use his word to meet you at your weakest point. Some of you are thinking, well, I have a broken heart. I'm not ready to consume the word. Can I tell you, the scripture says he is close to the brokenhearted. He is close to the brokenhearted today. Oh, when I think about the God's promises, having priority over genetics, it moves me to point number two, which I am so excited about, that my doubts don't dispel his presence in my life. My, my doubts, all the questions I have about God, don't dispel his presence out of my life. I love it. It says to Rebecca, she, she received special assurance from God. And I'll be honest with you, this goes against everything I was ever taught. I was taught that if you doubt God, oh, he's immediately dismissing you out of his presence. Come on, I don't know if I was the only one that was taught that. If you doubt him, oh, you're inviting demons into your life. If you, I went to kind of a Pentecostal church. They're like, if you, they used all like alliteration. They're like, if you doubt him, demons and depression, you know, like whatever. And they would put it together and they would say like, you have, you, there's no room for any questions in this faith walk with God. And I know honestly where we get that kind of thinking from, it's from one story in the Bible. Just one. It's from the story of doubting Thomas. Now, I would suggest this today, that that's a terrible name for an individual, doubting Thomas. And honestly, before someone labeled him doubting Thomas, he would be labeled as Thomas the Brave. You're like, why would you say that? Because there's a story in the scripture where Jesus is with the disciples and he goes... It's time for me to die. And they're like, well, we had a good run. See ya, you know. And Thomas is like, wait a minute. Let us go that we might die with him. Right, Thomas the brave. But Thomas finds himself in a situation like all of us find ourselves in times where we are doubting the power and the presence of God. And so we know the story that some of the disciples saw Jesus raised from the dead. Others heard about it, and they came to Thomas to tell him about what they had experienced. They said, Thomas, Jesus is alive. He's walking around. He's going to come visit you soon. And Thomas is like, listen, listen, listen. I saw him die. And until I see the holes in his hands, and until I see the hole in his side, I will not believe. And as they're speaking, Jesus shows up in the room, like just shows up, like a bad ex-girlfriend. He just shows up. You know what I mean? They're like, Jesus, you didn't even use the door or anything. What are you doing here? Right? Shows up in the room, and he begins to open up his hands. And he says, Thomas, touch the holes in my hands. And touch the hole in my side. And an entire generation, multiple generations of the church, we've taken that story and say, see, Jesus showed up to prove Thomas wrong. Jesus showed up to embarrass Thomas. And I've come to give you a different perspective today. I'm telling you that Jesus did not show up to embarrass Thomas because that's not how he works. Jesus showed up to ignite him. Jesus showed up to empower him. Jesus showed up to give Thomas a second chance. You're like, how can you say that today? Where did you come to that conclusion? I'll tell you very frankly. I've come to that conclusion because Christian history tells us that Thomas was the only disciple to take the gospel as far as India, which is why many call him the saint to India and many Indians. 
Indians take on the last name Thomas. Thomas eventually planted churches, raised communities, and ultimately was martyred for his faith. Does that sound like the actions of someone who was embarrassed or someone who was ignited? I came to tell you today that it does not matter where you find yourself with God, embarrassed or doubting, broken or hurting, not understanding why this is in your family. Oh, your doubts don't dispel you from the presence of God. It ignited Thomas. It did something special for him. I believe that's what God is doing. How God is moving amongst us. That's what he wants for you. Your doubts don't dispel the presence of God. Here's my third point today. You know, I look at this story of Rebecca, and this makes a lot of religious people mad. It says his purpose is not a hit or miss thing, dependent on what we do or don't do, but a Sure thing determined by his decision flowing steadily woo, from his initiative. And I've heard so many people say in the past, considering their family, considering genetics, considering their family history, say, I think we've just messed up the will of God, the purpose of God, the plans of God. And I just want to share with you today, here's my point number three. You are not big enough or strong enough to stop the purpose of God for your life. I don't know if you were encouraged. I, but when I preached this in my hotel room, I was so inspired. I gave myself an offering. I said, you are not strong enough or big enough to stop the purposes of God. Oh, that should create some freedom in this room today. Friends, hear me. How many people have stopped running after Jesus because they thought they were big enough or strong enough to stop his purpose. But here it tells us his purpose is not a hit or miss thing dependent on what you do or what you don't do. Now, this isn't a verse for license to sin or act however we want. This is a, a verse of freedom to look at the people of God who are striving to become more like Jesus and go, this is a lot harder to mess up than you thought it was. Ooh, that gave me a lot of freedom on the inside of my soul. Friends, I'll tell you, I don't believe in eternal security, but I also don't believe in eternal insecurity. Hello? I don't believe every time you mess up in the present, every time you mess up, God is writing you out the Lamb's book of life and he's moving you away and now you got to do whatever you got to do to try to come back. No, I believe if you will turn to him, oh friends, he's already turned towards you. He's already turned towards you. No, I, I told the story today in the leader session that we had, but I want to tell it again right now. There was a student in my ministry who broke the generational curse of her family not knowing God. In a service and in a moment, I remember she came to me and she made a confession. And, and honestly, I love first generation Christians because they call you like brother, or prophet. I'm like, nobody's ever called me prophet, but you can call me prophet Pete. Just don't call me Pete Pete, you know. <laughs> and she came one time and she, she had a confession for me. She was like, Pastor Peter, I got to tell you something. I said, well, she said, I've been stealing anointing oil from the church. I was like, okay, you're stealing. That's bad but it's anointing oil, so does that cross each other out? Okay, like I don't know. And I said, what are you doing with the anointing oil? She said, I'm tired of watching my family be in a pattern of divorce and a pattern of, of bitterness and a pattern of alcoholism. I'm tired of it in my family. I've heard you talk about the power of God for generations, and I want to see it in my home. So she said, I'm just anointing my whole house. My parents are walking around smelling the house like, what is that smell? She's like, my parents are waking up with pimples all over their face because I'm anointing their pillows. I'm like, yeah, girl, do what you got to do. Right? And then... She begins to pray and, and believe and ask the Lord that he would move on her behalf and on her family's behalf. 
Friends, can I tell you today, our students are not just sitting off in the back or they're not just the leaders of tomorrow, they're the leaders of today. So many young Christians coming into the faith, first generation believers. She's praying for her parents to come. And uh, she decides to get baptized. And her parents wouldn't come until she decided to get baptized. And that's a good word for most of us in this room, that until you go public with your faith, it won't transform anything in the world around you. You're like, I want to reach my family. I want to reach my workplace. I want to be a bigger conduit of hope. I want to see the power of God flow through my life. Then make a public declaration of your faith in a way that you haven't before. Would you step out? Would you believe? Would you anoint something? Would you decide to get baptized? Would you start a group? Would you give a little more? Would you make a public step of your faith today? She decides to get baptized. And I'm in the tank. <laughs> And I know who she was before Jesus. So when I baptized her, I held her under a little longer. Thank you, God. I'm joking. I'm joking. Some of you are like, oh, my gosh. She's like, how long was that supposed to be? I was like, 32 seconds. You're only under for 29, girl. Go ahead. And uh, she gets baptized. Our pastor preaches an incredible word. Her parents decide to come down and give their life to Christ. The altar workers are there with their name badges on, booklet in hand. Perfect moment. And this girl comes out from the back, hair still wet, splashing all over the place, and looks at the altar worker and pushes them out of the way and said, you did not pray for them. You didn't intercede for them. You didn't cry out to God for them. So you will not lead them to the Lord. This is my family. Oh, I wish some people at River Valley Church would get a little spirit on the inside of them to say, yeah, 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 this was a part of who we were, but this is my family. I know we struggled with this, but this is my family. I know the enemy attacked us here, but this is my family. Woo. This is my family. My family. The promises of God have priority over genetics. Now, I told you in the beginning about my dad, but I want to tell you how that story ended. Because this isn't just a message I preach. It's a message I've lived. I travel around the world preaching to people of all different kinds about the goodness of Jesus. But the one place I did not see the goodness of Jesus happen in my own life is concerning my relationship with my father. But how can I preach this word without experiencing the power of this word applying to my life? In 2014, my, my dad had a heart attack, and then he had a stroke. And the doctor was like, yo, he doesn't have long to live. You need to go in there and see your father. And, you know, they called me, and my mom was there and everything, and my parents were divorced, and I got in the room, and I honestly didn't cry. I didn't cry that he was on the bed. I didn't cry um, that he was sick or that he was going to die. Our relationship was not good whatsoever. And uh, I remember being in the room, and everyone was there crying, and my, you know, my siblings, step-siblings, and uh, my mom and other people, and I was just there, not a tear to shed. And I remember walking outside of the room, and my mom said to me, she said, son, actually she said it like this, Son, what are you doing? This is my Lion King moment. Peter, remember who you are. <laughs> She's like, son, what are you doing? I was like, mom, I honestly don't care. And she said, what kind of man of God? Come on, thank God for a good mom. 
Can I tell you right now, I don't remember the moments where my mom, I don't remember the moments where she just let me do whatever I want and I was able to run free. I remember the moments where she said, hey, that's not who you are. Parents, can I tell you today, part of the discipleship that God has put on your life is to stand in the gap for your children and say, that's not who you are. Oh, I'm so thankful for mom. She said, son, that's not who you are. She said, you need to go in that room and lead your father into a relationship with Christ. You don't want him to go to hell, do you? I said, mom, it's okay if he goes. That's how bitter I was. She said, son, march. I'm like, you are 4'11", but you're supposed to be a Christian. You are me. I got in that room. And for the first time, my dad stretched out his hand. I was like, what is this? He's looking at me. He's just, his hand's out. I put my hand in my dad's hand. I can't tell you the last time I held my dad's hand other than that moment. The Holy Spirit began to speak to me. And I was thinking about some of the things I was going to be preaching. And the Lord said, this is your moment. This is the most important person you will ever lead to faith in Christ. And I sat there. I put my hand in my dad's hand. I did it the weird way too, not the palm, interlock. Hi, daddy. <laughs> even, even though he was down, I could see it be like, mm. <laughs> I'm like, you can't stop me, interlock. And I led my father to the Lord. And I tell you that story not to make myself a hero, but to let you know this. For the first time in my life, I took back every evil word that was spoken over my family. Every bad trait. Oh, my dad was the multiple line of Reeves men that had messed up their marriages or cheated on their spouse and stole from their job and committed all these different things. But I'm telling you, in that moment when I led my father to the Lord, oh, it stopped me and it will not pass over to my son. Why? Because the promises of God have priority over genetics. And when the Reeves name is spoken... Oh, be spoken with life and peace. Friends, why could God not do that for you? At what point will you stop tolerating what the enemy has put in front of you and say, it stops with me. It stops with me. I'm done with that. I'm pushing that to the side. His promises have priority over genetics. Would you allow God to move in you today? Would you allow his spirit to stir you today? To intercede, to believe that whatever's going on in your family it stops with you. The enemy has stolen so many years of relationship and connection and friendship from so many of us with our family and our friends. But his promises have priority over genetics today. The story of Rebecca is a redeeming one. God gives her a special assurance. He reminds her that this faith is difficult to mess up. And then he gives her what her heart desires. Two beautiful boys that go on to be men of God. Can I tell you today in one prayer... The destiny of your family could be changed forever today. Would you stand with me? Whoo. Come on, can you just close your eyes today and think of that thing? What is it? Is it bitterness that's been passed from generation to generation? Is it greed? Is it pornography? Is it alcoholism? Is it anger? Is it depression? 
Oh, from generation to generation, we have tolerated it for so long. But I believe God wants to do something special in this moment. He wants to start a new chapter and a new page with you. His promises have priority over genetics. And you are one prayer away from multiple generations of your family walking in a totally different light. River Valley Church, I'm asking you in just one moment to pray and to say, God, would you move in this area in my life? Because prayer is not just God giving God information. It's giving God an invitation into a specific area of your life. And it changes whoo, everything. So come on right now. What is the Lord saying? Say, God, I need you to move in this area of my life. You know exactly what it is. And can we just begin to pray right now? Right, right where you are, you don't got to move. You don't got to do anything different. If you're uncomfortable doing this today, I apologize. You don't have to do anything at all. But just ask him, Lord, would you move in this area? Would you move in my anger? Would you move in my depression? Would you move in my greed? Would you move in this area? This has been a part of our family for multiple generations. Well, my dad did it, and my dad's dad did it, and my dad's dad's dad did it, and so now I'm kind of just rolling with it, trying to figure out, no, no, it stops with you. It stops with you. When did we stop believing that our God can't do the impossible? I'm telling you, he can do it today. And I'm telling you, testimonies are going to come from this moment. Testimonies of revival and renewal and refreshment. I'm telling you, reconciliation. Oh, it's coming from this hour. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this room right now. And we say, God, we don't have the answers. We don't know how to put it all together. But we know that you can do impossible things. Thank you for the promises of God that are stored up for every single one of us. This is why we read the word. There's 8,800 promises, Lord, that you've laid out for us. One for every hour of every day. So I pray that you would encourage us and speak to us as we go to your word. That our lives would be transformed. And that the testimonies of the Lord's goodness will come to pass. I thank you, God, that you are renewing us and refreshing us, restoring us and revealing yourself to us in the wonderful and matchless name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen and amen today.